Hi, guys. Welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, the show on YouTube channel and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefanie. Today is another day for an interview, and I'm dead excited to have Dr. Alice Kirby with me. Alice, it is an absolute honor to have you on the show because I know that your work is helping so many women out there to live a different life after trauma. And there is such a need, unfortunately, out there because this world is, is at the moment not a nice world. And maybe today we can plant another few seeds in some beautiful minds that hopefully grow and develop into, into the means that gives women, but also any other person out there who needs it, the power to take the first steps. So Alice, welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Mm. Alice, uh, first of all, let's talk about your, your, your background and the many strings to your bow. Um, just describe yourself and, and give me your qualifications. Not just me. Give everyone your qualifications, please. <laughs> Good thing I have my resume here. No, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Uh, no, thank you for asking. I'll do it in a nutshell. So I'm a doctor of physical therapy and I'm a health consultant and a somatic experiencing practitioner in training. And for those that may not know what somatic experiencing is, is it's a, a form of trauma healing. So that's a three-year three, three year additional training program that I'm almost through. <laughs> I have, I think, three more modules left to go, but it's wonderful training. It's based on the work of Dr. Peter Levine and really works with healing trauma and healing chronic stress from this, uh, from a body-based method and from working with the autonomic nervous system and the body's physiology versus mm -hmm. just working with the, the conscious and cognitive mind. Um, because a lot of times with trauma and with chronic stress, these patterns really will get dialed into our nervous systems and into our physiology and into our implicit memory. And so we may, know have, we, we may not have any conscious recollection of these events, but yet we still find ourselves playing out these these old patterns or old habits and finding them really difficult to break um, because, you know, on some level we may be responding from a place of survival from these survival mechanisms that got dialed in long ago. So I do a lot of that work. I'm very passionate about it, obviously, because I, <laughs> I just jumped right into to talking about it. Um, <laughs> and that's beautiful. That's exactly, that's exactly why we two are here. You listeners out there, it's now six, what is it, six forty now? And and so we started shortly after six uh in the morning. And yeah, no, I'm not a morning person in the best of, of circumstances. <laughs> now for Alice it's afternoon, but it is just it shows that that we go the extra mile to actually connect and connect in such a way that we can share it with you guys so we are all very passionate about about our missions and our visions so and that is just just beautiful so alice you are clearly right now a woman on a mission no doubt about that but how did it all start and and what did young alice wanted to be when she grew up and I really mean young, sort of, you know, 12 or so. Um, mm. what, what were your, your hopes and dreams then? Um, it's funny because when you said young, I was thinking back to like six. I think I, I have a, a strong connection with my six-year-old self still okay. to this day. Um, you know, I really just always loved, and it's things I still love, I loved playing outside. I loved playing in the woods. I think I had dreams to, um, you know, to maybe be a ballerina, to ride horses. I don't remember really having very strong sort of career oriented visions for my future when I was, when I was real young, but I, I always really loved playing outside. Like that was kind of my thing was to get up in the summer and like go to these woods we had nearby and like build forts and just be out there all day, like sweating and play with my friends and running around and getting muddy and dirty. And, uh, you know, I still really love all of that. <laughs> cool. Cool. So, um, 
Last time I looked, there are very few career paths that involve uh, playing with your friends and getting sweaty and muddy. Um, <laughs> there maybe are few. Rug rugby, maybe? Is that a career? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is. It is. New Zealand. <laughs> hell yes. Hell yes. So a uh, fair call. I'll give you that, actually. Um, <laughs> no. But so, so that that was probably destined to be your spare time. Uh, so what did your parents say you ought to look into? Or what did your school counselor, what did people sort of around you guide you into? What did you end up doing? Um, I mean, I honestly don't, I really didn't have a strong feel. I'm thinking even of when I was in high school, I really enjoyed biology. I liked science um, and that certainly, played a factor in me continuing on um, to get my doctorate with physical therapy. I loved dissection. I remember I was in an AP biology class and we got to dissect the cat and that was super cool and really interesting to see that how, you know, the inner workings of the, of the body of this cat body. And um, so I was always, I had sort of a, a, a desire to learn more about the human body and the human condition. And, you know, as I, as I got a little bit older and did more traveling and started studying um, with these various organizations around the United States and down in Central America around different methods of healing, uh, I also became incredibly interested in, in the mind and in how, and then things like behavior change and then what would really affect us to create changes in our life and what would really hold people back and then how did that relate to the body. So I feel like I've had that interest for for a really, for most of my, all of my adult life, really. But I think wow. some of that was, was brought forward from, you know, being a kid and being really active and then also doing some of those science classes. Um, you know what? I always really liked literature too. I don't know what I thought I would be. I went to a liberal arts college when I was 18. I, I don't know that I had an idea of what career that would go into. It was this really small school based on the great books and it was a kind of a really weird education. Um, yeah, it was kind of bizarre. I don't think I would make that same choice <laughs> like, <laughs> like today. But it was interesting, yeah. you know. I've, I like learning. I've always yeah. really enjoyed learning. So it's interesting. It is quite interesting kind of where my path has, has ended up with the, the marriage of some of these things of science <laughs> and uh, behavior change and yeah. Yeah, and yet, mind. and and yet, there is the mind. Yet, there's the psychology. So it's obviously, uh, and and from the classical training, sort of there is, uh, sort of there, are, in medicine, you talk the body, the body, and then there's psychiatry, and there's uh, psychiatry is uh, for those of you not so really known, is really the the diseases of the mind and how they are created and how they are treated. So that is psychiatry, but. The psychology, oh, yeah, there's a sprinkling of teaching there, but not much. Yet there is this, this, this clearly this link between the brain and the body. And this link is so powerful and so strong as you have discussed, covered in your journeys. Yet it's, it's maybe now coming in, but certainly not when I studied in, in university. We had no lectures on PTSD or the, the brain gut axis or, or any kind of things like that. No, 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 no. Um, anything that they could not dissect out was clearly psychosomatic, which was mm. nearly a swear word. So that is unfortunately a training that I went through. And we're talking the 80s here, uh, 80s, 90s, shall I say, 90s. Um, and I know that in the last five, 10 years, things have changed to a, a small degree. But unfortunately, it is... The, there's still a generation of, of teachers and mentors out there who are really in the medical world are mm, not so supportive of alternative healing, of any kind of healing pathways in their own right. If you can't cut it out or can't give it a tablet, no, 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 we don't talk about that. So it's a bit, unfortunately, there's something there that I have to acknowledge that Unfortunately, there might be a conflict of interest or, or some problem when it comes to doctors. Uh, having said that, I, through a number of circumstances uh, and reasons, have become very open to everything, basically. And this is a very beautiful place to be. So those of you out there uh, who have got strong beliefs and strong convictions one way or the other, 
maybe just open your mind a little bit and, and listen to to what Alice and I are saying. And, and if it is a bit different to what you believe, Faith, this might be a cool fact. This might be a good fact. So back to you, back to you, Alice, because Alice, there is no way in hell that you would have one day decided, oh, I just want to do PTSD. And yeah, that sounds interesting. There is always a reason that we go for certain paths. Are you happy to share a bit why you suddenly became very interested in trauma care or aftermath care? Um, sure. I think when I started this training, it wasn't so much the fact that it was trauma based. It's more the fact that it was very, it was a very body based method to help people get rid of um, some of these chronic patterns. And with some of what you were saying with the medical industry too, I have, I have to touch on that because this I'll do it briefly. I think the concept that that some of these things even are considered like alternative medicine is so it's so silly. Um, mm. uh, just because there's been research, I don't know if you're familiar with Candace Pert. She was one of the original researchers that was studying neuropeptides, like I think back in the late 70s or early 80s, and mm. she actually had all this research that was talking about um, the brain body gut connection, and and she was way ahead of her time. But it's interesting that even though there's well-established research, it still isn't mainstream. It still isn't even a corner of the mainstream. Um, and so I'm really glad there's functional medicine practitioners and a lot of uh, MDs and DOs and other you know, medical professionals that are looking at some of these things and are able to look outside the, the box a little bit. And I definitely, I like to say that because it, I think it's important to note that there is solid and substantial research on these things uh, as an evidence-based practitioner. That makes me pretty excited. Um, mm. Yes, yeah, so with studying trauma, the somatic experiencing work felt like a really natural progression for me. And I came into I came into finding it like when I was first getting sober myself. And so, you know, I, I haven't had any big, huge moments of trauma in my own life. Um, but I, we all, I think, go through these sort of you could call them micro traumas. Um, you can call them trauma with a little T, but just the way that we perceive events and how we respond to them, um, it can be our bodies will process them as trauma or perceived trauma. Some people say that, particularly when we're children, things will happen and we may not know how to process them. So we'll go into one of these autonomic nervous system responses. We'll go into a state of freeze that happens a lot with kids or the fight or flight. And then these, these um, responses will get bound up within our own physiology and within our nervous system. So I, you know, I'm sure I had a good deal of that. Uh, I think most of us do. I think it's kind of impossible to go through life and not have some of that. Um, mm -hmm. And unfortunately, again, this is an area where we have a lot of education. We don't teach our children these things. Um, and I think maybe that's opening up a little bit more, but I think this relates into addiction and to into alcoholism a lot, because I think when we don't have these tools available to us and where our body has our body is kind of being continuously assaulted where we're like constantly responding from a stress response or from a trauma response. And we don't, we just want to like get the hell out of it because it's so uncomfortable. Right. So I think that's a big part of why alcohol can come in for people because man, does that help get us out of our bodies? Like for a while it works really, really well. You know, we're numb. It's pretty chill. It feels nice. Like maybe it makes us more social, helps with our anxiety. I was a big, um, drinker because I had so much anxiety for a while. I really loved alcohol to sort of calm me down. Um, and so that's, I'm taking a, a kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but that's what got me involved in it directly is like I, when I was first getting sober, I found my therapist and she just happened to be a, a somatic experiencing practitioner. I'd never heard of it, no idea what it was, hmm. but I started doing that work with her as well as started 12-step um, recovery around that same time. And um, yeah, I mean, it completely changed my life. I think the 12-step recovery really helped me to get sober, but then doing this somatic experiencing work, like just got me back in my body and really helped me to build trust. And I've, um, yeah, actually, I won't even say that next part, but it, it enabled me to build trust in my own body because I now know how to listen to myself. And I think that's one of the biggest gifts that I can help facilitate for the women that I work with is to teach them ways to start trusting their own bodies because we're in our bodies all the time. 
And it's this wonderful barometer to the world around us. So why wouldn't we invest time learning how to be present within them? Yeah. It's a beautiful way of putting it. You're so, so right. I mean, I could not agree more with you. Uh, what is intriguing, here you are a, a very active woman out there, yet the alcohol was soon helping you with your anxiety. Was there, did you feel guilty about drinking? Or how, what were the emotions that you linked with drinking when you were uh, drinking more and more? I mean, I think most people who've been through this recognize I think we have a commonality in what we experience, particularly around emotions. And I don't think my story is, is that unique in them in that I felt, you know, shameful and I felt, you know, just miserable and raw on the inside, kind of desperate. Like I wanted to quit for quite a while. I really couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to. Um, and that's, you know, that becomes debilitating. And I think really knocked me down on another level of, and it brings up this thing of, is there something wrong with me? And am I crazy? And um, maybe I'm a horrible person. And so I had all of those kind of things going on. And, you know, alcoholism is progressive. So mine certainly was no different and just got worse. And pieces of my life would start chipping away and breaking off. And um, yeah, it's really it was really depressing, you know, and and definitely I I felt just thinking of like my my physical sort of reaction is I felt really hollow on the inside. And I hear that described a lot as well. So I remember the first time I, I went to like a meeting, a 12 step meeting, and I read, I had this little pamphlet afterwards. And I was like reading about alcoholism. And I was like, whoa, like, I'm not crazy. I'm just an alcoholic. Like this all makes sense. And that was such a liberating moment for me. And to go to the speaker meeting was the first meeting I went to and hear this guy share his story. And I was like, holy crap, it's not just me. I'm not, it was such a relief just to know there were other people like me that dealt with this issue and, uh, and they were better and they were getting better. So I had, again, I had that hope, you know, so yeah, it's much better. Um, not drinking. No shit, Sherlock. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> know, like the obvious police. Um, Oh, no, no. Yeah, but and I, it's, so, it's so bizarre because here we are, we both experienced exactly the same thing. Uh, you were a high-functioning alcoholic. Obviously, you, you tried to keep your life together as much as you can. But I love the way how you put it that some bits of your life got chipped away. And mm -hmm. that is the most beautiful description I could imagine because it's this insidious, slow path. If it hits you like a bloody drain then okay you 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 get it damn yes but if it is just slowly 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 getting worse mm, that is the insidious part it's it's tough to recognize and and because alcohol is so socially acceptable you know mm. I, I hung out with the crowd of heavy high functioning alcoholics or maybe they they weren't alcoholics but heavy drinkers you know who had really good professional jobs back in DC and were lawyers and worked for congress and mm. um but it was just really normalized to drink a lot and so mm. it was kind of okay for a while you know the way that it is and then and then it just really isn't and then it's mm. like oh shit i'm at the bottom of this well how do i dig myself out it's beautiful did you how did you end up at your first meeting did someone give you a helping hand um, so one of my best friends has been in recovery for, I think he's coming up on 13 years. Oh, wow. So he'd been sober for a while and, you know, he had seen my alcoholism progress. We'd taken a couple trips where it was pretty obvious, like, um, it was just kind of getting worse. And, um, and I, you know, I'd gone through this traumatic series of events. I'd gone through a breakup and I was moving and I was like really sort of at that rock bottom or my wits end or this, the desperation was quite strong. And, and he said, you know, I have this friend who's speaking at this meeting and it's going to be in your town and he's from there. And why don't you just go check it out? Cause I, like, he knew how desperate I was. I went and stayed with him for a few days, like when I was going through this breakup and, you know, he's just, we've been friends for 20 years. So he's one of those, he's like family. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go. So I went to this meeting, it was this, this big LGBTQ conference and, you know, I didn't know anyone. It was this whole like huge room and I just went in and sat in the back and listened to this guy talking and it was great. Like after that, was the, that was my sobriety date. I haven't had a drink since then. Um, Cause again, he gave me hope and the next day I, 
I stayed and I talked to him afterwards too. Mm. And I like waited in the line to talk to the speaker and I went up and I was like, oh, I'm, you know, so-and-so's friend. And he's like, oh, that's so cool. You came. And um, so that meant a lot too, just to like kind of hug him and um, yeah, just to know that I wasn't alone. Yeah. It was really important. And it's such a weird disease, alcoholism, because it tells us all the negative things, but it tells us, shh, be quiet about it. It says, no one will notice. You just keep hiding the things that you're hiding. She's so good in it. Honestly, no one will notice. Just get another bottle of vodka and just do it. What was your, what was your favorite poison? Um... No, at the end, I was drinking a lot of vodka mixed with vitamin water. So it was, you know, low cal. <laughs> <laughs> like I was, and I see a lot of women talk about this. They're like, oh, I do this. And I'm like, just, just don't drink the vodka. I can't, I still can't drink vitamin water anymore. I'm like, uh-uh. <laughs> it's, it's too gross. But, you know, and some days I really do miss beer. Like I love mm. like good, tasty, like stouts. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I don't miss it. Like I'm going to go drink one. But I'm, I'm like, oh, I miss that experience of like a... <laughs> Real good sort of chewy beer. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, of course, the, the thing is there are very nice aspects to drinking. Oh, there yeah. is there is the social side. There is the taste, which is an acquired taste. But at the same token, the, if some tastes are beautiful. I miss a lovely wine, a mm. strong wine from the Elsa, sort of a Gewürztraminer or something like that. Oh, yes, please. Yeah. Um, so there are certain things which you just have to say as much as as a uh, uh, some yummy food uh, will will give you a wave of pleasure. There is certainly some tastes can do exactly the same, and it just so happens that I'm rather allergic nowadays to uh, to alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, in the words of Downey Jr., um, I break out in handcuffs. Mm -hmm. um, when I have some alcohol, <laughs> I, I wasn't that bad. I was a high-functioning alcoholic, and I didn't end up with any DUIs uh, or with any other kind of uh, frictions with the law whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But I guess it's all a matter of time until until yeah. it hits you, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I think that as well. I have a, a friend right now who's just a lovely sober woman and she's still dealing with like repercussions from over a year ago. And as far as like custody of her kids and it's, yeah. you know, this ex-husband is really bitter and I'm like, whoo, like that's admirable that you're just like walking the walk in the path of sobriety. Like even though things aren't going your way and even though you're doing everything right. Um, hmm. So I feel for, for people that do have more of those repercussions. Cause like you, I, I didn't really have any with, you know, as far as legal or things like that, or, you know, being put in jail, but Certainly my life was suffering. And hugely so. And yeah. that suffering, it's interesting how you described the hollow aspect because mm. that that was how I walked out of rehab. I was I got admitted to rehab uh, because my wife basically said enough is enough and I have organized rehab for you and no, you do not have a choice. You will wow. go on Friday. And so I ended up 28 days in rehab and best thing, best thing mm. ever that could have That's happened great. to me yeah but it is i walked out and i was hollow it, exactly i was a shell of a man yeah and i used the the 12 steps and i used the a a a system of holding myself accountable and i realized that a at a quite an early stage in rehab that I was a liar to my family. They had heard it all. No, 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 no. I did not. I did not drink. Truly, honey, honey. But you smell. No, 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 no. That's that's ginger beer. That's that's you know. That's that's. Uh, and we come up with all this kind of bullshit. So I knew that words were not enough. I had to walk the walk. And in my book, uh, I call it making living amends. Mm. You you have to walk the walk because words are cheap uh, for any alcoholic. Yeah. So guys, now that is, but I was a hollow shell, absolute hollow. There were no emotions and it, it would take me probably the better part of two years to develop true emotions, true passions, true visions. I guess initially I was, I was afraid of, of developing something positive in me. 
Maybe there was this, still this intrinsic, oh, you're not a good man, you don't deserve mm -hmm. to be happy, all that kind of bullshit. There's only so much you can work in your 12 steps, you can work with, with healers, etc. But you need to, to that recognition that you actually deserve to be happy because you're doing now all the right steps and, and the steps are in the right way and the right steps. Um, so that took a while actually for me to to become even even a shadow of what I am right now. And wow, so yeah, two years. How long did it take you to come to 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 change? I think I made a lot of changes relatively quickly. And I think I think the part of why it's like one, I really, really wanted it. Like when I finally got sober, I was really like done and really desperate and really like I was just super willing, you know? So um, that, and then I think working with my therapist and doing the somatic experiencing work, like along with my 12 step recovery really helped a lot with, you know, again, being able to be in my body, being able to feel some things that you know, maybe I, I wasn't able to feel or I'd been holding back or I, I wasn't sure how to let them in without being completely overwhelmed by them. And so going through that work at the same time was just, mm -hmm. I feel like it helped me. And like you said, not as much as I am now. Now I feel just quite like full of myself really in this way where I physically feel like I'm filled out in my being instead of being hollow. But I think I started coming back into that relatively quickly like within a couple of months. And I certainly had ups and downs through Beautiful. it and, and all of that. But I feel like I started getting a glimmer of like, oh, this is me and this is, mm -hmm. I can live this way. And I would just make my, I would just say yes to things. I would make myself go to sober events. And even if I didn't know people Beautiful. and it was super awkward and uncomfortable, you know, and I live in, the, in this little beach town, so there'd be barbecues and before COVID, of course. And mm. um, so I would just say yes to all of that. I went on camping trips. I just, I just went and surrounded myself with people that had more sobriety than I did and Beautiful. tried to have some sense of social engagement. And I, I always recommend that to people. I'm yeah. like, just even if it's not people that you have the most in common with, or you feel the most comfortable with, just do it for a little while, just mm -hmm. surround yourself with it. And you'll find your, you know, you'll find your people too, I think is what happens, which mm -hmm. is the community around sobriety is so, so important. I think it's essential. Absolutely. Um, just to have Absolutely. other people going through the same thing or just going through life sober. So true. And we, we have forgotten how to do that uh, because alcohol was, was drenching every single aspect of our living. It was absolutely normal. And I loved how you said it. You, you, you bring together a group of friends that are drinking at, at least as much as you or more, because that way you look normal. That way you mm -hmm. have got the perfect excuse. No, 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 no. Oh, I'm an alcoholic. Look at Joe over there. Oh, mm -hmm. oh boy. Can I tell <laughs> you stories? And you tell stories about him because you don't really want to tell the stories about yourself. Um, sure. But that's another story. It's all right. So no, you're so right. You're so right. And, 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 it is hard. It is hard to to know how to do these kind of things. And I had a jump start uh, in rehab because I was taught how to live that life by quite regimented living. Literally, you get up at seven thirty. You have your breakfast. You will be in a meeting at eight. You will be there at nine. It was like school, basically, mm -hmm. um, and. But it is what we need. It is it is something that someone helps you with plans, with a model, with a structure that you can hold onto. Um, the, I need to play a bit my own trumpet here. My book, My Steps to Sobriety, um, it's of course one of the best books ever written. <laughs> That's what I, I heard about it. I know, and so humble. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> Someone was just singing that from the rooftop over there. I was like, "Wow, he's right here." Got one of those big horns. Yeah, that's like <laughs> no. The reason, I, the reason I, I say that is, I've put so many of my stories in there, and I've put so many action plans in there that essentially are there to help you guys look at your own life and think, "Damn." Uh, uh, yeah, well, really, I should be social. How do I do that? Well, there are heaps of suggestions in there. How do you deal with that? Because probably half of the book is about dealing with life. 
yes, the other half of the book is alcohol and, and the 12 steps, but that is, that is the alcohol side of things. That's really only one little aspect of your life because it's all the other things that actually make you drink or that cause the trauma or that, that bring on the challenges. And I'm dealing with these challenges in, in half of the book where we say, well, okay, how do you meet people that are sober? Um, how do you deal with Christmas and the family that you can't stand or the family that will drink? How do you deal with criticism? How do you deal with depression, with anxiety attacks, with all these kind of things that are normal in daily life? And I didn't have the answers when I was in rehab. You actually have to learn the hard way. How do you have actually fun? And every Tuesday night in rehab, no excuse, you went bowling. Okay. Mm. And I had, uh, after the first, the first bowling, I went a bit too hard and injured my knee. Um, and so there I was with this bloody painful knee. And I said, look, I can't bowl. No excuse. You come bowling. You sit on the side and you cheer up your team. And mm. it was that kind of, okay. And it was the most bizarre experience for me because there I was sitting. I couldn't distract myself uh, physically. I couldn't actually bowl. I couldn't hold onto a drink and drink. And I was just sitting there actually having fun. It was a mm. great night. And this was the most, that was one of the, the, wow, I can actually have fun. I can actually have a life without alcohol. Wow. Yeah. That was a, it's a cool, cool experience. Ah, oh, love it, love it. So Alice, we need to talk more about your, 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 the somatic, uh, the, the body response, the autonomic nervous system, because that's sort of a, a thing that is so powerful in our life, yet we do not recognize it. We know bugger all about it. Quick, quick medical introduction. The autonomic nervous system is part of the nervous system. So the nerves and that the nerves are typically your brain, the spinal cord, and then the nerves that come out of the spinal cord and then make you do things like lift your arm. So that's information coming from your brain or you touching something. Well, that's information going down the nerves or up the nerves to the brain and give you the information. So that's the nervous system in a nutshell. So there are these kind of things that you very consciously can do. And then there are things where you actually have no clue that they are happening. They're happening well below your conscious level. Uh, they are happening deep inside yourself. There's heaps and heaps of that happening. We've got two systems there. One is the, the sympathetic nervous system. The other one, the parasympathetic nervous system. Fight and flight, relax, recreate, uh, heal. So these are sort of the two big things when it comes to the nervous system that does the things that you do not control. So and that is really that part of nervous system that is so powerful because it can do so many weird things. Um, for example, let's give you an example out there, guys. Um, I'm sure you have been in a situation where you were so stressed that you physically felt sick. You might have even dry retched or vomited. Well, say hello to your autonomic nervous system, which has uh, done its own little thing there, and it felt like that all this trauma the, the body couldn't make much sense out of it and and your body actually or your, your reptilian brain thought hey maybe it is something that i've eaten something really nasty something really awful and let's actually bring that out because that's the same same thing the vomiting means to bring something really bad out of the the, the body so i'll give you an example that was the autonomic nervous system um, doing something in response to a really traumatic event, to a really traumatic emotion. And it's unfortunate, these kind of things, you, you alluded to that, that they can sometimes get ingrained and like, a, like an old LP, uh, like, a, like a vinyl record, jumping into the same groove again and again and again uh, at, a, at a song that you really don't like, but you can't do anything about. Tell us a bit more about that. 
Um, sure. So I think you did a really nice job explaining the, the nervous system and the two branches of the autonomic nervous system, as you said, are the sympathetic and parasympathetic branch. And so our bodies and our biology were designed to move through these two branches. We're designed to like have moments of more excitement or activation and then moments more of like settling or relaxation. And so the, the goal isn't really to be this, you know, very chilled out. I'm always in this more parasympathetic state. I think the sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight portion gets kind of a bad rap. Like it's always bad. It's not. It's it's part of our biological processes. We're supposed to be activated, more activated sometimes. If we're walking down the street and a car is coming at us, we better hope that system kicks in and we jump out of the way, right? Like it's there for a reason. Um, but what what can happen is that instead of processing um, those like more activating events, like maybe that example I just used, instead of, you know, jumping out of the way of the car and then we stop for a minute and we let that energy of that charge kind of come back down into that more natural flow, we'll just keep going. And so maybe this will happen on the way to work. We're driving, a car tries to cut us off. We're like, our system gets kind of spiked up. We're activated. Then we go into work. Then there's you know, we grab a cup of coffee and then we have a meeting and then there's an email and we have a deadline. And so it's like, we never come back down. And you can even hear a little bit of that in my voice. I can feel my own system getting sort of activated, just talking about it. Um, and so notice, you know, what's happening as you're listening to this, just notice what's happening in your own body. And so the, the real key with some of this is to be able to allow our systems to go through that natural settling process. And um, Dr. Levine, who developed this work, did research with animals in the wild, and I, I frequently point to Robert Sapolsky's work as well, who's a biologist who's worked in Africa for decades um, and observed an, animal behaviors. But in the wild, you'll see the animal go through that response. They're running. They're running from the predator, whatever's chasing them. They get away, and then their body, they like they do what's called a little bit of a discharge. So they'll do a physical shaking. And so it's they let that response calm down and settle down. And so they go through that discharge period and they're back up and like walking around being an antelope or, you know, a deer, whatever the animal is. Um, and then they're on their merry way. And so they're not holding on to this prolonged stress response. And so that's a big issue for humans. And I think it's part of the reason why we have issues with autoimmune diseases. Um, and part of the reason why we're just like a stressed out sort of angry people a lot. And there's you know, there's so many different anxiety disorders and things like that. So I think if we can start understanding a little bit more what's happening with our system, and this is part of the work that I do, I'm just wrapping up a four-week course now that lays some of these very foundational principles, um, but we talk about something called the window of tolerance. And when are you in a tolerable window of ebbing and flowing throughout your day? Or when are you way up here and you're up here like with your foot on the gas 100 miles an hour all day? And you never let your system come back down. And then we're just, we're constantly like that groove in the record, like maybe we're up here. So that's a big part of the work um, is, is being able to identify, understand those things and work with our system to like be okay to come back down and relax, you know, cause I don't think we're, we know how to do that. It's like relaxation is this thing we do maybe at night or when we're on vacation, but it's not part of our day where we pause for a freaking second and notice when we actually like feel something nice or pleasurable. We're like, great, that's good. No problems to solve. What's the next thing? And then our brains are just off and running trying to solve problems. We have this negative bias in our brains, right? So we're constantly trying to problem solve. But another part of what I teach is really to slow down those moments, almost like pressing pause when you feel like yourself, when you feel pleasure you know when you're enjoying a, a warm breeze or a cool breeze on your skin like actually feel what's happening in your body mm -hmm. and we can start retraining our systems then to not be on this super high state we can retrain them to um to to go more through those ebbs and those flows um so that's part of how i work with chronic stress and how this the system and these techniques work and then with trauma you can think about an example I like to use is if you're a child and you walk by your neighbor's house every day and they have a dog that you're scared of and the dog like runs to the fence and barks at you. And, and so you become quite terrified of this dog. And, and you may not have any memory of this as an adult, but maybe every time you see the same breed of dog, you find yourself going through some of those sympathetic responses. Your heart starts beating, you start sweating. You, you automatically cross the street and you no longer walk in front of that dog. So you can go through these trauma responses without having a conscious memory of what's happening and how this can be detrimental. I mean, aside from that, you have to now cross the street every day. 
is that we will potentially start narrowing the opportunities or the experiences that are available to us because we're trying to avoid anything that brings us back to that state of trauma remembrance, if that makes sense. So it's like we close off our life force and our ability to have experiences because we don't want to get and a lot of this is, is below the level of our conscious radar. It's that reptilian brain. It's the subconscious. And so we'll start you know, doing less, doing less, doing less, because maybe we'll get close to any kind of a dog now. And it's like, oh, no, this isn't safe. That's how our body will respond. This isn't okay. Like, I'm in danger. And those are deep-rooted, like, survival patterns. There's no arguing with them. We can't rationally think our way out of them. So when we're able to start getting in there and working with the system, we can build our capacity for, for feeling and for being able to be present with these things and just have a sense of knowing what the heck's going on, you know, like, Oh, that's why I can't be in 10 feet of a dog anymore. Um, it can really be very profound. And I think when there has been years of drinking and alcoholism and all the shame and, you know, the misery and that hollowness that comes with that to begin to start like a having an understanding of how this this aspect of your body works and b really being able to start feeling and being present with yourself and moving through some of these things it's it's like a whole new world becomes available um kind of like what you were saying about sobriety and not drinking is one little piece of it really but then it's the rest of your life what are you doing with the rest of your life exactly. you know and some people especially at AA, like to say like oh you know i'm just oh some lady said this today and like i, I love AA. it's great um and, and also there are other things that are, that are really great and really helpful. Um, but I feel like sometimes there's this verbiage of just like, oh, just one day at a time. And I'm, I'm only just like doing this for other people. And it's like, yeah, but what about your life? Like, what are you creating? What are you passionate about? Like, what do you, you can live one day at a time and still be freaking like really passionate and really engaged in your own life. And I just bring that up because sometimes I find it as almost like an excuse to not actually take action on anything, which... I think that then becomes like its own sort of pathological process. <laughs> it is, uh, no I doubt about it. It's a, it's a, and and for those of us who, who have been to meetings, there is the, we joke a little bit about the one guy who knows it all, has been there for twenty five years on every single meeting that there is, and he is still annoying as hell because yeah. he only talks about <laughs> the same bloody things again and again because he is stuck in that rut. He is not doing anything to his life. The only way he's is 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 white knuckling it. That's how I mm. call it, white knuckling, and and just is a, is a, is a dry alcoholic. Uh, he has not done anything to his life, and that is really, really, really hard. Uh, and when I say he, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, there are enough girls out there who can be bloody annoying as well. So, okay. <laughs> Women never. We're no, never, annoying. never. <laughs> charming, always charming. <laughs> yeah, about that. Um, <laughs> no, I think the reality is is you need to deal with your life. Yeah, and you do. Uh, the problem is if, if you're in the haze of alcohol or other drugs, it makes that bloody difficult. And it is so important to learn about your emotions and the physical changes that the emotions trigger in you. And that is exactly the work you are doing. And we see that, I mean, what you have described there beautifully um, is this kind of spreading response from the initial threat of that black dog with that red color and those nasty eyes to every dog, to oh, I better don't leave the house to, mm -hmm. you know, it, it sometimes doesn't stop anywhere. And it, you just become really, really so deeply scared at, at, a, at a, such a fundamental level that you are completely crippled in your emotions. And no one will ever try to admit that or, and, and, and say, yes, I'm crippled. Yay. No, we, our brain comes up with some kind of excuse where you don't want to leave the house, etc. But uh, it's still the response is still the same, because if you hear a dog barking in this example, and suddenly your heart rate goes up to 150, and you feel your hands going all sweaty and clammy, and you, you become... Quite exactly. That's the word hyper vigilant. Hyper means far too much, and vigilant, of course, that you're aware of your surroundings. And hyper vigilant means no, 
that kind of thing. So it, these are all the, the, the things that are probably not helping you to heal. These are probably, these are, these are very good signs and symptoms that something is wrong. So don't, don't feel ashamed or guilty that you respond like that. On the contrary, say, thank you very much, buddy. Um, you are telling me that there is some serious work to be done. So let's start working kind mm -hmm. of a thing. So if you develop that kind of attitude and if you actually say, wow, okay, that means that there is still a lot of unresolved issues. Wow, what an insight, guys. What a start. What a beautiful thing. Listen to this body of yours because it, it tells you things left, right, and center. We just have forgotten how to listen or we never learned how to listen in many cases of us. And that's where your work comes in. Um, how do you, do you find your patients or how do the patients actually find you at the moment? Um, so mostly like the clients that I work with online, because most of my consulting work is online, especially now, but in general, because I work with people all over the world. So typically through social media, through my podcast, um, I will do um, frequently I'll do free events. You know, I, I'll run, I did like a free five day event at the start of COVID when we really first started going into lockdown, I, I did something called the ease experiment and had five days where I talked about some of these things and then really led people through a lot of different practices. So I think primarily people find me through social media, my podcast, my website. Um, I guess frequently on podcasts. So I think people kind of come in from those various channels as well. Um, and then I'm listed on the somatic experiencing uh, website as a practitioner there. So sometimes people find me there, but I'm pretty active on social media. I'm again, so passionate about this work. I talk about it all the time. I do live videos. Um, I have a YouTube channel that where I have some stuff, but it's hard for me to manage like a bunch of channels at once, a bunch of platforms. So I'm most active on Facebook and Instagram and somewhat on LinkedIn as well. And guys, you don't need to remember uh, any kind of handles. Just look down there into the description of the YouTube video or of the podcast and you find the clickable links there. So don't hesitate and, and check out Alice's uh, Instagram and other social media. Uh, I'm sure there is a hell of a lot that you can learn. I certainly continue to learn continue to develop the insights and this journey actually never stops and that's so beautiful because your body comes up with new challenges and and or let's rephrase that the world decides to throw you new challenges and they might look a bit different and your body might try to jump back into the old rhythm and give you the same kind of old spiel to start off with, oh, you need a drink, man. I mean, it's really getting bad. You, you, oh, wow, look what the world is coming to. You better have a drink. Or, wow, you're so lucky, let's have a drink. Hmm? <laughs> um, so there's the alcohol side, but also the, the, same, the same body reactions that you sometimes just have to catch out and nip in the butt. I had my own share of traumas. I had some PTSD. I find myself at least once a week having an anxiety attack. And I hate to label it like that, but I guess that's a nice description because you just think, and you're hyperventilating and you're, 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 oh. And I say, okay, thank you very much for reminding me on, on that it is not so great. And then I do some breathing exercises, and then I try to figure out why am I feeling like that. And it typically turns out I haven't drunk anything, I'm hungry, I'm a bit overwhelmed from some situation that has occurred, but essentially I didn't take care of the basics in my life. And that's typically a start. So let's drink a bottle of water, let's actually uh, eat something, uh, let's do some breathing exercises, a bit of short meditation, getting bye-bye anxiety attack. Mm. And these are the things that you want to learn. So take the anxiety attack as a sign off from your body that you either you stuffed up or, whoa, there are things going on that you need to deal with or a combination of both. And then learn what to do 
to help you under these circumstances. And there are so many things. It's not just, just a little bit of breathing out there. And that's where, where people like Alice can guide you so much. Because there is, yes, of course, if you want to go into your lotus position and do some, some 20 minutes of meditation, that's quite nice. But if you're in a high-powered business meeting, yeah, it looks maybe a bit funny if you sit on the table. Um, so therefore, what do you do under those circumstances? What do you do? So, so you need to develop strategies that will work for you in your setting and there might be ways that you that you take some time out which is ideal if you allow yourself just five minutes to just say look can we interrupt a meeting for a moment uh, and we'll take a break or take a breather and toilet break kind of thing make an excuse and bang you can do the work that you need but there are so many many uh, ways how you can deal with that and working with someone who has got the insight into the psychology as well as can interpret how your body is responding, why it does that, how it does that, and explain that to you can be so powerful, can be so, so gorgeous. So Alice, your work is, is so needed out there. And it's, it's like a translator, I guess. You're a translator uh, in, uh, from a, from a language that, Everyone is speaking. They don't know how to speak it, but their body is giving them signs and symptoms. And, and would it be not nice if you know that language a bit better that you can actually respond the first time you get the warning message, not, not the 15th time when you finally have a meltdown? Oh, hell. <laughs> Alice, I'm so grateful that you came today onto the show, that you could share your, your passion and your vision with me. Uh, you, I, one thing that we didn't say is you, you primarily work with women out there. Um, so uh, you mentioned that you have taken the odd uh, gentleman on, but the problem of course is that there are, there are different traumas and different ways of sharing in groups and uh, the dynamic completely changes when you've got a mixed group. So I very much understand that you that you prefer to work with women. So that's that's one caveat out there, guys. But then again, for if you're a guy who's listening in and is getting peeved to say, oh, you've got all these women on, um, there are actually men out there. And I've, I've had a while ago, we've had a little series of men on. Unfortunately, when you go into into uh, groups of healers and, and people like us and you sort of say hello then unfortunately there are 90 percent women I, I guess and about 10 percent men so and it only shows that maybe the women are a little bit more advanced in 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 wanting to do something about their situations and trying to find out what to do um, so maybe we are a bit stuck in our own rut and our own worst enemies as men it's uh, a completely different story. <laughs> so, but so, guys, if you are out there, there are uh, go back uh, to some interviews when I, I spoke to uh, Jimmy Roos and and Mike and many other guys out there who might be of help to you. But this one is specifically for the girls. Okay, cool. So, Alice, again, thank you so much for coming onto my show. I was humbled, I was honored, and you're a great guest. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. <laughs> and you guys out there, live your life. You've got only one life to live. It's going to be fantastic. Just, just you do the work, you do the little steps, and you will not regret it. I promise you that. Look after yourself. Bye. Bye. Bye.